really the most important thing to be doing if you're so busy that you really can't commit to some of the um, more in-depth educational things is to be writing, be creating, be interacting with creators and have some kind of community, even if it's just two people. Hello and welcome to You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jennerette, children's lit author, mom, rock climber, and co-host of this podcast, obviously. My co-host, Josh Munkin, is a children's lit author, dad, science communicator, and my co-host. Today's guest is Julie Hudlin, picture book author, founder of 12 by 12, and co-founder of Picture Book Summit. On today's episode, we talk about TikTok, a lot, actually, and how it might be the perfect practice for the picture book writer. We talk about what actually counts as writing time, how not to get published, and the process behind Julie's 2023 release, Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews. In short, Julie is a positive light and a powerhouse of knowledge in the kidlit world, creating community wherever she goes. You don't want to miss this verse. Here's Julie's verse. But speaking of TikTok, Julie, yes, because so Josh, I don't know if you've seen this, but Julie is now doing these amazing TikTok videos and they're so (laughs) they're just like super fun. Please, please enlighten him, Julie, because I will not do it justice. Oh, about my TikTok or just yes, in general? no, yours, yours. I cannot believe we're talking about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to start with TikTok, no. But you know, I got, I have this strange quirk. Like everybody has their quirks, right? But I don't even know how many times throughout the day I will just be thinking about something and randomly get a song in my head. You know, yes, or, yes, exactly. Your TikTok up, yep. lyrics, you know, will just a- apply to a situation, and I'll just bust into song. This drives my kids crazy, by the way. But, um, and I had been on TikTok. I went on TikTok, kicking and screaming like so reluctantly. I really, really didn't like it for a while because my kids, who are both teenagers, would come and show me stuff that they thought was so funny. And I was like, this is not funny. And, <laughs> right. and, you know, what I didn't realize is that you have to find the people that you relate to. And the people that teenagers relate to typically isn't the people that... <laughs> teen, teen talk is not book talk, in other words. But then I had a couple of other friends who started sending me really funny TikToks. And so for a few months, I just kind of hung out on the app. And what I surprisingly discovered was that it was really great for thinking about writing, especially short form writing and especially humor writing. Because TikTok is mostly super short form videos. So you have to hook the attention right away or people are just going to scroll. And you have to have a hook, an angle, you know, something that is going to stop the person. And, And so much of it is based on humor. And people do seriously funny things in like 30 seconds. You know, 
Um, and it's there's so much creativity there. It and it's kind of bizarre and sometimes cringy creativity. <laughs> um, and in fact, I because I have gotten into TikTok um, for about I don't know maybe six weeks, so it's not like I'm an expert or anything. But I did a webinar on Sunday with Jarrett Krosaska, who of course is you know superstar on TikTok. Yeah. And he gave a webinar on TikTok for kidlit people. And what he said, I thought was so great. He said, it's like this huge community of creative weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, spot on. Right? Perfect. He said, it's like the island of misfit toys. Yes. You know? So after I had been on the app for a little bit and I realized, oh, you know, there, there's actually some kind of cool stuff here. And as a picture book author only, not an illustrator, it's also using like your visual storytelling skills. Like you have to think visually because it is a video medium. So I thought, well, I have this habit of bursting into song multiple times a day. And I bet you, given that, you know, I grew up my teenage years were in the 80s. I bet you I could think of all kinds of songs that would go with different picture books. And that became my picture books as an 80s song series. Yes. <laughs> I'm picked out. And I've, su I've subsequently branched out and done some other stuff too as I've gotten more familiar, but they have been so fun to create. And it's like really a, a microcosm of writing a story of any kind because this first of all the song has to fit the book in some way secondly you have to be able to tell a story which isn't necessarily going to be the book story exactly which is why it becomes a bit of a parody and you get the humor in there um and of course it can't be anything inappropriate you know overly sexual or swearing or anything like that because we're right. still about picture books right a lot of criteria that you have to put around around that which can really be super helpful sometimes right i mean we talk a lot about that about doing writing contests or you know submitting to spec or whatever and it's yeah i find sometimes the more parameters the more helpful and i um actually this is so this is a whole nother side thing that you're involved in but the um picture book uh, summit, right? Yeah. So when, um, oh my gosh, and I'm gonna, now oh, I'm totally like blanking on his name. He did, I want my hat back. Oh my gosh. Lassen. Thank Lassen. you. Oh my gosh, why, I just like fell out of my brain. But his talk last year, like blew my mind. But he basically had said that, right? Like you sort of whittle away, like the things that you, you know, are afraid of doing or that you can't do or that you don't want to do. And you're sort of left with these very specific parameters to work in. And that like really helps him sort of move through that, like, you know, that messy middle or that like hard um, creative part that you, that everybody runs into, which I just, that blew my mind. Seriously, me too. And, you know, as, as the founder of 12 by 12 and one of the co-founders of Picture Book Summit, I've heard, a, I've, hosted and participated in and heard, I can't even count how many webinars, conference sessions, whatever. And so it's pretty hard to blow my mind at this point. Right, <laughs> right. 
believe it was like brain explosion that talk yes it was it was so so good i would have paid i don't remember how much it was but whatever the entry fee was i would have paid all that money just for that talk just to have that recording it was so good not to devalue the rest of it of course (laughs) no of course not but i mean just just to sort of like make a point about just how good it was and the way he gave it too he was just so casual about it like it was so off the cuff like I mean, you know, like I just do what I'm good at and I just, you know, sort of whittle away the stuff that I don't like to do or shy away from. And it was like using your failures as a way to, or not, not failures, but your fears and like, yeah, what you feel like your shortcomings are as a way to sort of like navigate through the things that you can do. And I, I thought about it for like weeks. I still try to apply it to my writing. But he recommended a book during that during that session that I thought was such an odd choice. It's called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. Yes, I read that book after he mentioned it, yes. It's basically like, I was thinking, how can a book that's talking about Russian sh- short stories from like the 19th century be helpful to picture book authors? Yes. And I was like, I read the whole thing. I was highlighting. I was amazed at how much of it applied to picture book writing. So that was another just amazing um, takeaway from that talk. Yes, yes. That book was just, it was just like he he pitched it. It was a masterclass in writing. Because I thought the same thing. I'm like, I don't want to read this boring book about Russian literature. But he, you know, he like recommended it so highly and had just blown my mind that I was like, I'll do whatever you say. What else should I get? <laughs> right? Like, what, what else do I need to do? So I got it. And I started reading it with like real low expectations. I was like, I'm going to get bored. I'm going to fall asleep. It was it, it just was like, not only was it a speedy read, but the way he broke it down afterwards, right, to like talk about each passage and make these comments and sort of like break apart this essay. Like it was an actual like master class in writing and just. And funny too. Yeah. Made it so funny. To circle back around though to you and TikTok. And <laughs> I did want to mention, we talked to Valerie Bowling recently and she said that you had done a TikTok on one of her books. Yeah, so she sent me, um, or she sent us the link to link in our show notes for her episode. And I'm so excited to like, you know, point people to that and sort of like, you know, piece it all together because it's so, yeah, I mean, it's just so fun. And like you're saying, it's a great medium for sort of putting all that together. Yeah. And of course her book, Let's Dance. I mean, of course that had to go with Bowie, right? (laughs) Right. I mean. (laughs) Same title for sure. Yeah. That was kind of, that one was a no-brainer, some of them. And then, of course, I did There Might Be Lobsters, (laughs) Rock Lobster. (laughs) Right, right. Yes. (laughs) So I have to cop to to this. Um, I I feel, so there's a sense of jealousy that I have on my part between the two of you because I know Brenna partakes in a lot of the 12 by 12 stuff and the webinar stuff and i fill my life full with uh, full of puppies and kids and chaos and day job stuff and i don't um i i'm oriented to the value of those those sorts of things but um i don't i don't partake in them um am i doing myself as a disservice i guess or are people that that don't educate themselves doing themselves a disservice i guess we're moving from tiktok to a a deep question about 
educating yourself and growing your chops. As, I see. As like through courses or webinars or conferences or Ex things. Like yeah, exactly. And so just I, my day job is I'm corporate guy and HR talks about 70-20-10, the 70-20-10 principle. You're going to learn 70% of what you need to know on the job, 20% in coaching, 10% in um, in, you know, pro programmatic education, um, understanding that that 10% is really important for craft and for formalized processes and workflows and norms and all that sort of thing. I'm just, um, I reflect on that sometimes. And especially in conversations like this, where you are such a champion of education and providing resources to people, um, what do you think about people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, honestly, that's a really great question. And I don't think anybody has ever asked me that question, which really is great because I want to heard it here first makes me want to dig right in. First of all, I think if you're doing anything creative, like this podcast, for example, and you know, that is education. And the fact that you're able to do any of that at the same time as holding down a corporate job, plus having kids and dogs, you know, of which I know a thing or two about also. This is perhaps a little known fact about me, but I used to work in the banking industry. I've worked oh. in electronic banking and payments for years. And that's where I was when I started writing for children. And I will be honest and say, I could, I really could not. And I, my kids were young at the time. So toddler, infant, you know, that stage. And eventually, as we all know now, I, I left. And luckily for me, the idea that I had for 12 by 12 kind of took off and I was able to morph that into my day job. So that really is my day job at this point. But before that, it was incredibly hard to find the time, the energy, the mental space to create uh, in those little in-between times. And, and I did take some courses and I, I did what I could, you know, but I think just any kind of immersion, anything that you're doing, whether it's a podcast at the time I was doing like a little blog where I was learning and then posting what I was learning and it all helps. So I would say rather than feeling pressured, you know, to go join everything or take all these classes and whatnot, do I think they're helpful? Yes, I obviously I do. It's your day job to think that. <laughs> You, you can see from our conversation that, you know, we've both been, we were both hugely influenced by this talk with John Claston, and then we read the same book and we're applying that. So yes, it can, it can move you forward. But I think really the most important thing to be doing if you're so busy that you really can't commit to some of the um, more in-depth educational things is to be writing, be creating, be interacting with creators and have some kind of community, even if it's just two people, right? You have to have some kind of community of where you can share, you know, your writing, your illustrate, whatever it is that you do, people who get you. 12 by 12 is a big example of that, right? There's 
1,700 people in there who are all picture book authors and illustrators. And so we get each other and it's always there. It's online and everything. But you don't, if you have a tight, even local or online critique group or just, you know, the two of you, like just even a few people, you just need, you need to have um, some kind of connection to it and know that there's no race, right? Like eventually your kids will get older, um, you know, your life will change and things may change and you might have more time. So just that's what I would say is fit what you can and let go of the doubt and self-loathing, which I know is very difficult to do, you know, because everybody feels like they should be doing everything. You know? There will be self-loathing no matter how much you achieve. Yeah. My own personal philosophy is to do a podcast uh, and just glean, just glean the best, like listen to the both of you talk and glean the best, the best of the webinars. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's the thing is that you're already doing more than a lot of people do by just by hosting this podcast and talking to people and listening to people, you know, you, you covered that or spoke to it a little bit too, in the last, um, I think it was the last book chat with Rajini LaRocca. I think, I think somebody had asked, you know, how do you, how do you do so much? Cause I mean, she is like a superstar. She does everything. She's a doctor. She's a Newberry winner. She, you know, she does, she's like amazing. Everything she touches turns to gold. So you know, and she's got a family. She's got kids. It's not like, you know, she's just doing this on her own and that's what she does full time. But um, I don't remember if it was her or if it was you or just sort of a combination of how the conversation went organically. But I do remember you saying, you know, like also if you have kids, right, and you're in that sort of like kid lit mind space and you're reading these books every night and you're, you know, you're going to the library and you're doing all the stuff. Also, and so Josh actually wrote a manuscript recently based just on what his kids had imagined, like in their closet, right? So it was like that right there is is perfect because the point of the conversation was, you know, sort of like keep track of all that gold from your kids when they're little because they are just spouting out picture books constantly. So if that's the only thing you're doing, you're still doing more than, you know, you you could be, you know, you could just be phoning it in and saying you're tired, which is, which is totally fine. No, no judgment. Like I was tired for a long time too. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I can't do anything, but you know, if you're even just keeping track of those, like that's even more, you know, doing more than, than just not doing anything. Right. And that's at some point, like you said, the kids are going to grow older and you can go back to those gems and polish them up and, you know, try to sell them. Yep. That's right. And, and, and I think that that's valuable creative, creative work is hearing, listening, hearing what your kids are saying, recognizing, a, making a connection there to something that might one day be a story and just getting it down in your idea list. I have a picture book idea that I still haven't written to make work somehow, which is my son, who is younger than my daughter, you know, used to say, Molly is being such a meanie head. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Like meanie head, you know, and nobody listening can take that idea, but I thought there has to be a book about meanie heads, you know? Yes. And I haven't figured out what it is yet, but that's an idea that I wrote down when my kid, you know, when they were little, because I just, and, and it'll be there, you know? Yeah. Right. Just waiting. Yep. 
Julie, so also what popped into my brain when you were saying you sometimes burst into song just like periodically throughout the day. Well, you have a book coming out soon, right? The biography of Mary Poppins. Is that correct? Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, who played Mary Poppins. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> but I thought I it was in the back of my brain when you said that. I was like, that's kind of perfect. I mean, I sort of feel like, I mean, that's kind of what she did, right? So, Yes, I, that is, I have those songs in my head on a loop on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. And, but Sound of Music is one of my all time favorite movies. I can't even count how many times I've seen it. And so all of the songs are sitting there all the time anyway. Um, it, what, what's amazing is that whenever you start looking into something, anything, you see it everywhere, you know? And yes. I'm amazed how many random Julie Andrews references there are, whether it's Mary Poppins or The Sound of Music, or in fact, here's I'm going to circle back to TikTok. Another kidlit author, just yesterday I saw, she has this weird, uh, again, you know, this strange skill that she <laughs> could make any song she can sing any song in the, in a Julie Andrews style. Oh, wow. That's a very specific talent. Very specific talent. And this just randomly came up in my feed and, and I think she was singing an Adele song, but like in a Julie Andrews sort of voice. And I, I was blown away by that, you know, like I'm not the only one that has these, quirks. And so I think when Jarrett Krasowska called TikTok a community of creative weirdos, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's like where people aren't afraid to let that freak flag fly and then people appreciate it. You you felt seen. Yes. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I'm fully afraid of expressing the freakiness, but I will watch other people express the freakiness. Yes. After my kids go to bed constantly. Right. (laughs) So what was it like um, writing that book? Did it just sort of, was it sort of like an obvious no brainer for you? Like I should definitely write this book. Like this is kind of like speaking to me. It seemed like an obvious no brainer. Um, I ended up working on it for eight years. Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. Before it sold. So it didn't seem to be a no-brainer to everybody else. Right. That's always the trick, you know, getting everybody else on board. (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness, you know, my agent was really committed, you know, to continuing. But I had at least four different versions, massively different versions of that manuscript that went on submission over that period of time uh, before before it ultimately sold. So it was for sure a labor of love. Um, and I'm so beyond thrilled to to have it. I still can't believe it. Sometimes I wake up and I'm kind of like, oh, I cannot believe that book is coming out. You know? Let me double check that it's real. Yes. Right, because I spent so many years facing rejections and rewrites and kind of maybe getting to the point where I was going to have to accept that it might never happen. And and then what, you know? Um, so it is, it really is. A, I hate to say it because it's cliche, but it really is a dream come true to have that book finally get acquired and will be coming out. 
can we cut the recording uh, so we can do that again in a Julie Andrews singing voice? Even <laughs> though <laughs> so I can break out into song at any point in time, you don't want me to. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not on a recorded podcast episode. I can't. No, I can't sing at all. In fact, my partner who is not American, you know, he's, he's from India and he thinks it's hilarious. And sometimes he's confused because he doesn't know the songs, you know, there's quite a pop culture gap. Yes. <laughs> so he's going, you're, you're an incredible songwriter. <laughs> and he's, he said to me once, it's just, it's unfortunate that you know you're not I how did you put it? I can't remember. it was it was nicer than that, but it was like I think it's really sweet and it's even though you're not a particular singer, I think I think that was how he put it. You know what you're good at, Julie. That's the that's the important part. Won't see me singing in any videos, so but, but that was this, it's so funny we talk about this because we ju we just had a conversation with I know you were we were talking about it at the top of the recording or maybe before just got had a conversation with Charlene Chua and um, talk uh, you know we we ended that conversation with this notion of you know we change over time we have these other the other interests and there's a big difference potentially between what we love to do and what makes us money and uh, you know most of us are never going to make a buck uh, singing, but as long as we recognize that. Especially not me, but I think it's interesting <laughs> that I could take that sort of quirk and do something with it, you know? Yeah. Is the, to put the, put the books with the music and kind of, I mean, you just never know. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I so Julie, I'm so interested in the fact that so it, it took you it took you eight years, and I mean there's so much to take from that. First of all, I mean that's so inspiring and like really nice to hear because you know those of us out here who are struggling with manuscripts and writing like drastically different versions, just hoping that that's going to be the one or that's going to be the voice or the you know that's the right point of view. And it just is like maddening because there's a story you want to tell. And it's like, I feel like the closer, like the more it means to me, the harder it is for me to like get into it or like to like grab it. It's like extra slippery and like I can't like hold it. You know, it's like an octopus or something. And I'm like these other stories, not that I don't care, but I'm not like as personally invested. They're just so much easier to wrap my brain around. Like I have that objective point of view, right? So I guess my my interest lies in the fact that, you know, how did you navigate that? So you wrote four separate ver versions, drastically well, different. Four, but the, there were just the ones, different versions that went on submission. That went on sub. Well, that in itself is very interesting. So like, That's how incredible. did you, right. Yeah. So like you put it, you put it out on sub and then like, how long did you, how long did you guys decide to leave it out and then pull it? And then when you pulled it, you know, how did you decide what to do next? Was it based on feedback from editors or your agent or, you know, combination or? Yeah, kind of all <laughs> the <laughs> so, First of all, I should also say that I had never written a picture book biography before. And so a lot of the time spent, I think, was just figuring out how to write a biography. Mm -hmm. which I had no idea how to do, right? But, um, 
Yeah. So when, like, say the first one went out on submission, um, it went to acquisitions at three, maybe three different houses. Oh, man. Um, and, you know, got rejected for different reasons. And one of the rejections was basically, if you could take this and, you know, make it a completely different story, I would look at it again. <laughs> but, but I don't even mean that in a negative way. It was like, right. you know, we, we think you're a talented writer. We love, we love the subject. Um, I think that version was something like 1,500 words. And they're like, can you make it like me, Jane? I don't know if you've ever read that. Oh, bio. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> like maybe 50 words. You do like 10% of the words. And <laughs> yeah. Just about yeah, just cut out everything. Sparse. Basically, make it for really young readers. Could we do that? Oh. And I tried for about a year. Um, I just kept trying. And every time, it was like the manuscript was resisting it. Yeah. It just wouldn't do it. But I did end up with a much more lyrical kind of poetic version that I was happy with. And then that one went out on submission and got some nibbles, you know, but the big one that we were hoping for didn't work out. <clears throat> and then um, I kind of went back to the drawing board again. And this time I was like, all right, now I'm going to take, going back to the education piece. I'm going to take some classes. I worked with Bethany Hegedus from The Writing Barn, who's written mm. in a lot of biographies and did a mentorship with her. And I took a picture book biography class with Rob Sanders. And I started getting, looking for feedback from people who actually knew what they were doing with respect to picture book biographies. Mm -hmm. And realized some of the things sort of the things I was missing. Like I didn't have a strong enough through line, <clears throat> you know. And the other thing that was really hard about that book is because I adore her and her work so much that I was very focused on thinking about her as, re you know, the audience of the book. Mm. And I really had to pull that back, <laughs> which was hard to do. And make it like, what are kids reading about her life? What do, what do, they're really the audience, mm. you know, she's already lived the life and knows the story. So that helped. And then I had this third version that went um, out on sub and one of the editors asked for a revised, no, two of them. I had the editor for one of my ed editors I'd already worked with asked for a revise and resubmit. And I spent a few months doing that and then they rejected it. But then I had this revised version that I thought was pretty good. So we submitted that, that became like the fourth version. And then the, the wow. editor, Courtney Faye from, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I never, Faye Faye, it's a Scottish name. Oh, yeah. Ruby Books. Loved it, and but asked for a revise and resubmit. 
could you add about a thousand more words and no, luckily, <laughs> go back to the first version? Like at first, I was just very like, come on, are you kidding me? Right. But, but then she agreed to talk to me, which was lovely. And I, and as soon as she told me what she was looking for, I knew I could do it. Oh, wow. So I turned, I turned that around in like less than two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And clear direction. Right. And then they took it to acquisitions and it sold. So again, it goes to this notion of wherever you can get it, get actionable feedback um, in any form. And it happened to be like, you know, Courtney Fye is going to have a much better idea of what's going to be accepted by acquisitions uh, and be able to, you know, help you across the line. It helps her in the process helps acquisitions. Exactly. It was fascinating because, you know, different, different publishing houses have different ways of acquiring books. Sometimes people, if there's an editor who, who likes it, they can just go, I'm taking it, you know, Mm -hmm. but in this case it had to go through editorial. Mm. And so she had taken it to editorial and then came back to me with the feedback of revise and resubmit. And she said specifically, this feedback is coming because we know what they're going to say in the acquisitions meeting. Uh, yeah, it's so much easier in those smaller houses. Like I know Frances at Doubleday had just said she was on the cookie pitch AMA and had said, you know, she has to go across the hall, talk to her boss about it. And she's like, I like it. Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. Okay, we're going to do, we're just going to do this. So it's like, you know, way more streamlined and just easier as opposed to the bigger spots that have all these like different tiers. Right. Although that's how Overbear Underwear sold. Because Philomel, even though it's an imprint of Penguin Random House, it's very small imprint. And so the... Um, Jill Santopolo, who's the head of the imprint, mm. got in touch with my agent and said, I really like this, but I have an editor who I think could really have a vision for this that I don't. And I want to wait and when she gets back and see, because she was on vacation. And then oh. she came back and that was it. Like, what do you think? Oh, yes, I love, I can totally do this. And then, oh, wow. you know, they they didn't have to run it up like the whole chain. Right. Like have um, it be a whole thing. Yeah. But that, that was amazing. It, it still feels miraculous that that happened because it's just not, it's a, it's a strange, I love it, but it's a strange little bit. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way, in the best possible way. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, so Julie, there's this, you know, we talk about this a lot about manuscripts that you love and you sort you try to like polish and you send it to critiques and you, you know, you take more and more advice and, you know, something that just like isn't working. Right. And you're just like beating your head against the wall and you are just willing to do whatever. But eventually, you know, the manuscript becomes overworked and it's pretty obvious. Right. It becomes it's just it's like this amalgam of a bunch of different people and it's no longer your voice. Right. So. I guess I'm wondering, you know, did that happen to you in your process of of this Julie Andrews book? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. But I think part of the part of why it happened is because I didn't really know yet what I wanted the story to be. You know? I, I mean, I knew 
was very adamant about some things. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I wanted it focused on her childhood. I didn't, I, w- I wasn't interested in writing about Mary Poppins and Fräulein Maria, mm-hmm. like from, from the way it was after she knew she was Julie Andrews. I was interested in that period of time before she knew she was Julie Andrews. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean by that? Obviously her name, but like right. before right. she knew she was like, like a star. Big, big stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that I, I, I always I remained true to that, although I did end up putting vignettes and nods to it at the end because it was just feedback that I kept getting. And eventually I understood like, yes, it's important for kids to see ultimately the, this vast swath of accomplishments, you know, mm-hmm. that came from this childhood, this life. But definitely there were times when it just, it, especially when in, in between the first and the second version, when I was trying to take this 1500 word biography and turn it into like me, Jane. <laughs> you <know>? Right, right. <laughs> I, I just, and every time I started it and, and tried something and then the next thing I knew it would be 800 words and I, I just couldn't. And, and the next version that ended up getting submitted was about 800 words, I think. Um, that was just about as short as I could get it, which is, not me Jane I was trying to right. I was trying to give the editor what she wanted because I wanted it to sell but in the end that just wasn't what the story was supposed to be right yeah it's amazing like how I mean you, you know you say people say it all the time and it's totally logical advice but if you don't know what you're trying to say with the story you are that much more susceptible I feel like to outside feedback and not you know it's good to be open to feedback and to listen to what your critique partners are saying. You know, that's all important. But if you don't ultimately know what you want your manuscript to say, I feel like you can, you know, really over polish or over critique something that you, you're just more susceptible, I think, to, to like smoothing out those edges. Whereas the edges might be the thing that's the hook or your voice or, you know, the thing that's going to get it through. But you don't, you can't know that if you're, if you don't quite know what you're trying to say. Right. And I think some I think some writers can do that sooner than others. Mm. Yeah. I unfortunately tend to be the type of writer where I just have to work it out on the page. Same. Yes. I think some people can really work a lot of that out before they get to kind of the major drafting stages. And it's not I wish I could be like that, you know. Me too. Me too. Maybe Josh can tell us a little bit about that because that's how he writes. Really, I can tell yeah. that. I can tell that Brenna is looking like at my version <laughs> of the video. She and I could not be more different writers. Uh, I think the two of you are very alike. I don't sit yeah. down to write until I know the core or the heart of the story, and then it it doesn't fundamentally change. I hold my versions in my brain, uh, and then I'll like spit them out while I'm in the car, or mm-hmm. you know jot it down while I'm doing dishes or something. Um, and I, it, I just can't get it out of myself until, until that time comes. Unfortunately, same for my day job, <laughs> <laughs> right. which is writing based too, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because even though I was, when I was working in electronic banking and payments, that writing was a huge part of my job. So there's always been, a, a, it's just 
what type of writing mm -hmm. are you doing? Um, but, but I think that's right there is a benefit of you not having time to sit and ruminate and do all this. You're, you're doing a lot of writing in your head and that counts. You know, people think that it's how much, if, if it's how much time you're sitting in front of your screen or on the page or whatever that it, it's not, you know, if that's what counts, I'm not much of a writer. <laughs> right. It, it's about what you produce, you know, and, um, I, I don't think that any that way is any less valid than any other way, really. Everybody's just got their own process and their own way that they that they can get into it, you know. Um, I remember I think it was 2020 during the pandemic and the S, the main SCBWI conference, there was a talk where um, I think Dan Santat and Lewin Pham were together talking oh. about their process. Whoa. Very cool. <laughs> and honestly, like I had to turn it off because Dan Santat's process was so vastly different from mine and it was giving me kind of a panic attack. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he was like, I will write every version of the story that I think it could be before I decide what oh direction. Oh my gosh, damn. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, I will not stop. Like sometimes I'll write 20, 30 different versions just to see how, you know, and, and, and then get into the illustrating. And I just felt like it was, <laughs> it was so specific and he was showing images of different things. And then, even now it's like, whew, I have to take a deep breath, you know. Right. All right, we don't we don't want to cause you distress. We'll move on from being sick. <laughs> for him. For right. sure. But it right. would never work for me. And I think that's the thing about um the craft. Learning the craft is one thing. That's really important. Because the craft is there. The craft is something everybody needs to know and be, you're, you're going to put your own spin on it, but you have to know the basics. But how someone else writes and revises and does different things may not help you at all. It, there, there are some times when I hear presentations and I get an idea like, the George Saunders example being mm. one of them. And I know I can apply that to my work. And then there are times when I see somebody like in this case, you know, Dan Santat is obviously a brilliant uh, author illustrator. There is no way I could apply even one thing yeah. that, that he, to my process. So it's, it's important to know that about yourself and maybe try different things. And if something isn't working, then don't let it go. Yeah. I have to say too, when I, cause when I first started, I mean, I haven't been writing in Kidlet for that long, maybe like a year and a half seriously, right? Seriously focused on it. But when I first sort of made the decision to jump in, I signed up for every newsletter, you know, every webinar, like all the free stuff just to like, you know, dive in, listen to everybody, like do all the stuff. And then at some point, you know, I sort of was like, you know, like I read that newsletter and it's not really helping me. So I'm like, okay, instead of just deleting it, I'm going to unsubscribe, right? Or 
you know, you see a webinar come up and you're like, well, it's free. I should definitely do this. And it's like, well, it doesn't really pertain to me. And they're like talking about something that I'm not really interested in or whatever it is. So now at this point, it's kind of a relief that I'm like, okay, I don't need to be bothered by that. Like, I don't have to like pour my energy into that because it's so hard to, you know, task switch or to like switch your focus, right? Even if you're writing like multiple picture books at the same time, which like for you, I imagine you were, you were working on Julie Andrews and then like all their stuff, but you, you know, to switch back and forth like that is really sort of, it drains your energy. It's really hard to focus and like get back into it. And it's just, it's exhausting. So anyways, at at this point in my writing, I, I do feel some relief where I'm like, okay, I can recognize that that is not going to be for me. I, you know, I don't have to pour my energy there and I can, you know, sort of move on. So that is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yes. And it, it you go in cycles, I think, too, mm. because I feel like if whenever you're starting to think about maybe pushing your boundaries in some direction or other, that's when you're going to start seeking out the education again. Mm. Like I know I at some point like my next step is I really, really want to write a graphic novel. Oh, and very cool. I have taken I took one course on it. Um, in fact, I even tried, I've re- I wrote a script, you know, for young, young graphic, I'm not talking about like going nuts and <laughs> you know. grown up style, yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah. um, I just, I love the, I love the format, but I have a lot more work to do before I can even approach f- thinking that I'm ready, right? Like I have to read a lot more. I have to try writing them a lot more and I'm just not. I'm not going to do that until I've got a few more picture books under contract so that I feel like I have the space, you know. Totally. But then at that point, I would definitely start going and, you know, reading the books again and taking, watching webinars on on graphic novels and especially on how to write them if you're not also an illustrator and all that. Because at that point, I'm stretching the knowledge that I already have, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause I recently started, you know, mapping out a middle grade story that I have and same thing. Like I'm back to like listening to all the stuff and signing up for classes and reading books and trying to, you know, yeah, navigate my way through it. Cause it's, yeah, that's a whole different beast, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. Do you feel like, of course you have a voice, but do, do you feel like you have a, a, at this point in your writing career, you have a, a, like a target demo to use like TV terms or audiences that you aim at or a particular, you know, style of writing? I know you're, I'm, I'm asking this knowing full well that you've got the, I was about to say the Julie Headland biography, <laughs> which will come later, the Julie Andrews biography, uh, which is very different from something like overbear underwear. Um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder how you think about that in the same way that, you know, actors get typecast for certain types of roles. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that that is, I have, I think, two primary voices or styles and I love them both equally. One is this funny, almost slapstick kind of humor, wordplay, puns, 
you know, drives my agent to distraction sometimes. Like, (laughs) tell me there is such a thing as too many puns. I know you don't want to hear that. Drop her. No, you got to get rid of her. (laughs) But uh, so there's that and like just, you know, the humor, um, voice, more minimal, you know, more spare. Uh, But then I also have a, a lyrical voice that is in the Julie Andrews manuscript, but it's also, I have another one that I'm working on. That's like, I want it ultimately to have the feel of like a sick day for Amos McGee or something like that. It's not at all the same kind of story, but it's like, I can picture it. It's more lovely and quiet. And so it's two polar opposite things you know? Um, so I think, I think that's why it was difficult for Philomel to have both of both overbear underwear and the Julie Andrews bag. (laughs) So, but what I would say about that is it's not as common anymore for authors to have one publisher that publishes all of their books. Mm. So you can have your, these types of books over here and then these types of books over here. I think just being true to your voice and to what you want to write. If you only enjoy writing rhyming humor, then only write rhyming humor. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. And and that's another thing is that I write, I've, my other published work is in rhyme. So I write in rhyme, I write in prose, I, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. Being, but, being typecast is not your issue at the moment. No. Sorry. And I mean, I haven't published enough to be typecast anyway, but, but the here, my sort of literary heroes, if you will, are like Jane Yolen, number mm. one, first and foremost, you know, she can write anything. She becomes like the invisible wizard behind the curtain <laughs> yeah. you know, where you don't really see or hear her per se, even though she has an amazing voice, but it's a voice that can go across any kind of book. She can write a biography. She can write nonfiction. She can write poetry. She can rhyme. She can, you know, she can do everything um, and do it well and get them published. You know, she publishes in these like little micro publishers, like the Cornell lab or whatever that publishes like her bird her bird books it's very (laughs) all the way all the way up to you know the the big five publishers and everything in between and another another author who's like that is candace fleming Mm. even more so because although jane does write some novels but candace is like funny picture books, picture book biographies, lyrical nonfiction picture books, YA nonfiction, middle grade. I mean, it's everything, you know? So, and that, but then there are some authors, the one that comes top to mind because she just did a webinar for 12 by 12, 12 by 12 recently is Tara Lazar, who does punny wordplay, high concept books. And that's what she loves to write. And so that's what she writes. And I would say that she's, if she 
at this point with 12 or 14 or however many published books she has, it would be probably a departure if she came out with a quiet, you know, something like that, like a, <laughs> yeah. like a, like a Pando or something. Right. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine her writing anything quiet because, you know, cause I mean, the best part about Tara Lazar is she is not quiet. You know, right. she's like, she's hilarious and she's big and she's vibrant and she's very like, she just is who she is. And so for her, I mean, that's not, you know, I don't see that as being any sort of part of her repertoire. You know, right. she is very good at what she does. And I think she very much enjoys she it. She into that. Yeah. And she is so good at it. Yeah. You know, but, but I think the key in either scenario, whether you're, you know, Jane Yolen or Tara Lazar, the key thing to me is you really have to love what you're writing. Yeah. And maybe some people love writing different kinds of things and other people really like to write, uh, which is not to say all of her books are the same because they're certainly not, but you know, they have a, a very particular voice and style and type of book that, that they like to write and both being kind of equally true to themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We've said before on the podcast, you know, it's not, this business is not sustainable if you're not enjoying what you're doing. So if you're trying to branch out and it's not any fun, I mean, good luck. Cause it's, it's you know, it's just not going to yeah. happen. It's arguably not that sustainable anyway, but yes. Right. Even if you're doing what you like. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, Julie, we're edging up on the hour and I want to make sure to respect everyone's time. And I know Josh has kid pickup coming up, but um, I just wanted to thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast. I mean, it was such a delight to talk to you and for and for the tables to be switched a little bit. Because like I said, before we started, I am so used to seeing your background and like tuning into the 12 by 12. Maybe one day I'll be interviewed by you on 12 by 12. I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> people you know between the featured author posts and the now we have the book chats and the webinars yes definitely because i this is probably a good way to end i always say and i truly believe this the only way you won't be published is if you give up if you keep going you keep writing you keep working you will get published you will it's it's inevitable yeah i can't say how long it's going to take <laughs> that's fair that's totally fair there's no guarantee <laughs> it may not be sustainable which is why i think some people do give up but if you don't give up you will get published well thank you again julie you may contribute a verse thanks for listening this week find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites verse.show renagenerate.com and joshmontgords.com see you next verse bye